Welcome to the Songwriter Connection Podcast. Our show originates in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA. We connect you to the songwriters and the stories behind your favorite songs. Join us as we take a look at the craft of songwriting through the eyes of the songwriter. Now, here's your host, Dave Linehan. Exactly what we're aiming to do. Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Dave. This is episode number one of the Songwriter Connection. I'm really excited to bring it to you. We used to do a TV show back in Cincinnati when I lived there called the Nashville Songwriter Connection. And we were very fortunate through the local chapter of NSAI then uh, to bring up uh, big Nashville hit songwriters and interview them, play some of their music live. And it was a big fun. So I just wanted to continue that in podcast form. And um, I thank you for joining us. I've got a hit writer today, a guy who has been like a brother to me over the last couple of years, a real mentor and a great friend. Billy Lee is our guest guest today and Billy is a songwriter he's a producer um, he's, he's got his own studio Lee, Teen, to, Lee Tunes Studio um, and his assistant Pepe the uh, the, the parrot right <laughs> Pepe and a great songwriter who's written with everybody from uh, Thomas Red Akins right to um, Chip Easton from Nashville and had a big hit with Gary Allen the one that we're going to examine on the show so Gary uh, Billy Lee welcome to our show Hey Dave, thank you, man. This is so much fun. The very first one, and we're 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 zooming it with you because you're on the other side of town, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, and we and you sound great. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing today? I worked on that. I goggled all morning. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, no, this is awesome to do this. I think it's exciting. I think um, COVID and the pandemic is Ugh. basically stuck. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, well, thanks to certain people like. It made you think about other things where mm-hmm. you don't have to be traveling around with a suitcase and a microphone. Oh, yeah. And awesome. And, you know, th- thanks for programs like this uh, Zoom. It's helped to bring people together. I know we do family Zooms uh, on my end, and I've done a lot of co-writing in the past few months right here on Zoom, especially with you and our good friend Michael in Australia. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, it took a while for everybody to kind of get used to this new format, so to speak. But yeah. It's finally worked out. I gotta say, at the beginning, I was like, "Oh God, I can't do this," and I didn't for a couple of months. And then I started talking to people, and let's do it. And let's it was do really it. Oh yeah, people well, that we write with mostly are, are friends, so people were not ashamed to just speak your own mind to. Mm-hmm. So, and it was great. It also gives me opportunity, you and any other writer, to write with people that you normally wouldn't write with. That's true. Yeah, things that where distance keeps you apart, you know, like our friend Mike in Australia. So you just can't hop on a plane every time you want to write with Michael. <laughs> so it's kind of well, cool. That would be a good time, too. It <laughs> would be. Well, let's start with one of your recent uh, hits. And uh, it's a song I've seen you play out uh, many times. You and Jane Bach, who I hope to have on this show sometime, sat down with uh, Charles Chip Eston. Charles uh, played Deacon Claiborne, if you were a fan of the Nashville TV show like I was. Uh, and you wrote his first single, right? You and Jane and, and Chip together? That's true. Yeah. Tell us how that came about. Well, I've known Chip for a long time. And Jim Jane became real good friends with him. So I was in constant contact with Charles, Chip, whatever you want to call him, whatever he accepts. Um, <laughs> I just called him one day. And I said, hey, what are we going to write? And he goes, okay, soon, man. And then, like, the very next day, he goes, you want to write? Like, <laughs> I said, sure, man, whatever. And then he knows where I live, and he knows I live literally about a half a mile away from Jim Bach, who's one of his closest friends. 
said, why don't we just get together and do a three-way? And, uh, and that was pretty much it. So we met over at Jane's house. I just sat down and, and wrote this song. You know, we had a couple of, I think I came up with the the riff, the bass riff, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when 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 a song is flowing like that, you know. Now, the idea, Billy, you had, you kind of had the idea, right? And the backstory on that's kind of cool. Well, the backstory, of, I, I'm trying to remember everything, but it had to do with in my, my my nice little studio that I'm in right now, and you've been in it because I'm producing your record. Mm-hmm. About that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people would leave stuff. I mean, come on, it's just like me and the console and a TV screen, and and people would leave. They would leave jackets. They would leave coats. They would leave gloves. They would leave scarves, glasses, <laughs> earrings. I mean, people. And then what's interesting as I always found it funny because when I would call up anybody that was in my studio. For like up to a week, nobody, you know, nobody claimed this stuff. And I thought it was really funny. So I said to Chip something, I want to put a little box at the front of my studio, which is going to be a foot and a half from the, the bathroom, uh, and uh, call it Lost and Found. We let people, and then we just talked about that. And then he said, that's like a great name for a song, you know, mm. for a bar. It's a great bar name. And I said, yeah, that's, that's cool. Mm. So, did it together, but it couldn't be a fancy bar. Mm-hmm. It had to be a bar in a strip mall, you know. <laughs> yeah. Two parlor uh-huh. and the uh, and the hair supply place and the the pizza place, you know. Had to be that was the bar, kind of a, a Cheers kind of thing. But Cheers was not Cheers was an old single standing building. This was just part of the mm-hmm. the landscape of a, of a strip mall in a mini mall. <laughs> Well, let's let's play that song right now. What do you think? I want to. Uh, yeah, this is Chip Eston, uh, Charles Eston, um, and a song that Jane o'clock. and Billy and he wrote. There you go. And there's a place around the block from here where you can drown all your troubles in singles and doubles, bad karaoke and beer. It ain't no Taj Mahal It's just a little hole in the wall But there's something about it That keeps the place crowded It sure ain't the food they put down It's liquor and laughter And love for all laughter And why we down at the lost and found You know it's true Right from the minute you walk through The door We all been broken and lonely But here we all know alone anymore Yeah, there's something about it that keeps the place crowded It sure ain't the food they put down It's liquor and laughter and love for all laughter and why we keep hanging around down at the lost end 
Aston uh, and Lost and Found, a song uh, was written by our guest on Songwriter Connection, Mr. Billy Lee. Uh, and uh, what a great song it is. You know, <laughs> I love the line, bad karaoke and beer. So I'm curious, who came up with that one? I, that, I, that was definitely Chip. I was it Chip? <laughs> who wrote everything? But it, again, it doesn't yeah. really matter. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It's but a great song. Is, when I hear that song, mm-hmm realize how fast I actually play when I play it live. <laughs> you, do, I, you know, I was thinking that too. You you pick it up just a little bit, don't you? Um, you, you know what's really cool? Chip has been playing a lot of the Grand Old Opry, and the first night he played, he he, he brought he invited you backstage, didn't he? Well, that was an interesting thing. The song already started hitting the charts, and Charles played at the Grand Old Opry one night, and he said, hey, why don't you guys come? I had literally... It wasn't that long. I had some serious back surgery, and I was a mess, you know. Yeah. And Gary and Jane Bach picked me up in their car because I wasn't going to drive. And um, he uh, had us backstage and everything. It was really cool because uh, it was videoed. It was on a, a TV show from the Opry. And then it also, they, they did, um, the Opry does the stuff from the dressing rooms where oh yeah, him, him and the guitar player Steve, and the piano player just were rehearsing the song. And it was great just like that, you know. Mm. And then he brings us up stay, on stage and says, you know, he 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 uh, gives a big shout-out to me and Jane while we're up there. It was really cool. And, um, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, Charles is a great guy, you know. What a great he, um, I said years ago, he played on Broadway with my friend Judy Dozier, who was uh, the keyboard player for Billy Idol. Oh, wow. And uh, he was playing um, the part of Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story on Broadway. And Judy was Peggy Sue. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. You know, yeah. my wife is just in love with him ever since the Nashville uh, television show. And you played a gig with him once at the uh, listening room and brought us back to the green room and introduced him. I thought my wife was going to pass out. <laughs> and well, I said... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, I said, uh, "This is my wife, Patty." He goes, "Oh, well, this is my wife, Patty." And my wife's like, "Well, his wife and me have the same name." So we got a nice picture taken, and um, and she immediately cropped me out. <laughs> so. well, you know, trick do that. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> great guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, what he's doing right now, I know he's doing a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gene keeps in touch with him on a daily basis. And that was cool because I, I sent a letter, to, uh, email, not an email, a text to Charles. And I said, hey, I never got a copy, a signed copy of the album. I mean, it was at my door like two days later. Wow. Very you cool. Know? And so, it's hanging up just outside the studio. So 
Seen it. That's cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about your backstory. Um, like any rabbit, <laughs> you're from New York City, and people don't you know people don't think about New York City when they talk about country music. So um, I'm interested how it all started for you in in New York City. You were in Brooklyn, was it? Brooklyn, yeah. How did it start? It started with the Beatles. Did? Yeah. Mm. I mean, that, I was a, a little kid. And, you know, of course, I was in, you know, we had Beatlemania coming up, you know, and everybody was into the Beatles. And I just said, you know, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And not really thinking that this could be something for real. I remember doing a talent show with a Mickey Mouse guitar that was untuned because I didn't know how to tune it. And I I don't know what I did, Hound Dog or something, and I really flopped. And I thought, it was okay, this is going to take some work. Um, And I just kept going and. I had a little room in the back of my apartment, but I had a Vic, little Victrola, and I would just sit there and sit there and sit there and just listen, you know. And I started listening to a song, and I started, you'd pick up, you know how it is, remember? Pick up the needle, put yep, it back perfect. a quarter of an inch. Pick up the needle, put it back again, you know. Wearing those records, literally wearing those records out. So that's that's really what it was when, when I became old enough to... Uh, be out in front of a stage, you know, I was, I guess it was the beginning of high school, I would imagine, played at every block in Brooklyn, wow. and probably the whole world had mm. a band. Did you? Yeah. Uh, band on my block, there was another band the next block, and it was, it was an equipment battle, you mm. know, who's going to have the best toys? <laughs> and so that's you, basically it, I didn't have any money, so I could never be part of that scene. I just performed. But eventually and, you performed with some huge acts. I'm sorry. Eventually, you you performed with some amazing acts, you know, well, and got on the yeah. road. And well, I think that's by osmosis of anybody who's in that business in New York or any place or here for that matter. Mm-hmm. You just start meeting people and you perform. The one thing that I always hated—I can't use the word hated—didn't um, love <laughs> was. Copying other people's music. I mean, I would copy the Beatles, the Beach Boys. <laughs> you know, I would love that. But all this other stuff in between just didn't interest me. Mm. So what I would do is I would go home and I would write a song that sounded like another song in a way, like a Led Zeppelin song or a groove or something like that, and uh, and put it in your set. Nobody knew. As long as the people were out there dancing, you mm. know, uh, that's all that mattered. Because I remember, like, one of the first times I formed that, with a band, we did uh, we did Beatles, we did Beach Boys, we did the Hollies, we did Boston, we did you know those kind of slight. I consider them a little slightly more sophisticated than other bands, but that's just my opinion. Um, and there was a band right before us. They played like you know twenty five minute version of Sweet Home Alabama. No, and they you know they were great musicians. And but the thing was. The whole crowd was standing there looking at them, like the whole time. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was good. You know, so it was a lot of fun. It was like more like being at a concert. And then when they were they were done, I just said to the band, I said, "I'm changing the set." Mm. And we started off with "Wouldn't It Be Nice" Beach Boys song, and the whole place started dancing. And I just turned to the drummer Louie. I said, "Louie, welcome to the entertainment business." And that was the beginning of, of realizing that. There was power in getting people excited. People get excited in a different way by watching people play guitar. You know, like being at a concert. It's a whole different thing, you know. Yes. Yeah. And then we did Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. Remember Yummy, yeah. Yummy? Yeah. Good love in the tummy. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
mean, those are just fun songs. And then, of course, we wound up doing the other cool stuff now, later. But how, how, just- Billy, how old were you when you first hit the road with, with uh, a major tour? Um, uh, I was about, uh, oh, I can't say major, just uh, let's say a tour. Uh-huh. Uh, probably 18. 18. And who yeah. was that with? Oh, God. Because you've toured with some big names. I can't even remember. I can't <laughs> even remember. Well, there was some stints. There was like, uh, Laura Theodore was a, was a good one, but that was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, Elvin Bishop stuff going on. And you know what happens is, I think by being active, she's what a tour is or being a musician is, and a songwriter. Hey, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's active enough so that if somebody needs something and they've seen you enough, they'll ask you if you're interested, you know? And that's always really the fun. And I wound up doing my own thing. I had a, 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 a group called Pink Noise. <clears throat> I auditioned for, like, Star Search and everything. It was pretty funny. Wow. Uh, and you, you had know, a band called Myth, right? In I had a band called Myth. That was a little bit later. That was the early, early. I don't even know what year or anymore, but I guess early eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the great bunch of musicians, and we got bounced around from label to manager to so and so. But it was a very, very professional band. We had didn't use effects, almost no effects at all. It was people playing guitar. I would like to say like Norman Brothers, but not Southern. You know, rock and roll and mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with all of those buddies, you know. Yeah. Once time about I want I like to say how many years ago it was probably eight years ago. Tony, the drummer who Tony Sorella, who was the original drummer for Kiss. Wow. Before, before Peter Chris, um, and uh, the name of the band that that Kiss, Kiss was called uh, Wicked Lester. That Wicked Lester. Yes. Yeah, Lester. Yeah. So, so that Tony was the drummer, but he didn't want to do the makeup thing. <laughs> just thought it was stupid. Uh. <laughs> you, Tony still keeps myth alive in a lot of ways. He's got a thing called mythology. It's on YouTube and stuff like that. And somebody called and said, hey, did you know that we have like a number one in Cuba? <laughs> number one in Cuba. How could that be? The band broke up 24 years ago. Well, Somebody or a DJ or somebody started playing a song called I think it was called Where Are the Heroes. I, I, I got to figure out which song it was. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because we started talking to uh, promoters and stuff like that and said, Let Mitt, let's get Mitt together mm-hmm. and do a tour, a short tour someplace. Let's go to Cuba. And um, we were going to rehearse in Nashville. It was going to be cool, you know. Mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to it. And I at the time, I still had the same guitar that I had when I was playing the Myth. You know, so it was like, Wow, this is great. <clears throat> it great. didn't happen. And then soon after that, Ben, who was the lead singer, uh, passed away. Oh, um, no. So that really pulled the plug ah. and not even think about it. So, well, but it was great. let's talk about how you go from New York and touring with all these bands like Delaney and Bonnie and who else? Toots and the Maytals, right? Didn't you play with them a, a lot? Yeah. And and um, and then to songwriting and um, and eventually uh, a, a great songwriter. Um, and how did that? How did you? So it started with you'd write songs for the bands and start playing it, but really it became your thing. And I write. Then I wrote songs for me. Mm-hmm. Billy Lee, but the name changed. Billy Lee. It used to be called. I used to be Bill Lee. Bill Lee. Okay. I, but at the time. 
you know famous bass player named Will Lee, right? Yeah. Right? You're confused. That, before we had cell phones and stuff, there was a service called the Radio Registry. <clears throat> the Radio Registry was a service which, hey, I need, I want to hire Dave Lenahan for the session. They would, we, I would call Radio Registry and say, I need Dave for two o'clock tomorrow at blah 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 studio, <clears throat> and the musicians would be calling at the Radio Registry, you know, three or four or five times a day. Hey, it's Billy Lee. What are you, anything going on? Oh, yeah, you got this. Okay, cool. But the problem was that Billy and Willie were too close. They <laughs> <clears throat> would confuse the operator. <clears throat> yeah. And it's funny because Will probably doesn't even remember these kind of things. But, you know, Lee was like one of, one of the world's best bass players and a great singer. And then yeah, I show up, you know, like <laughs> with my Stratocaster and, <clears throat> but you wonder, what are you doing here, you know? Mm. So it was my manager at the time. Just said, make it Billy Lee, which was smart. Yeah. And plus, Billy Lee lived better in Nashville than <laughs> Billy Lee. When did you move to Nashville, Billy? Well, I moved here. I bought my place in 2009, but I've been coming since 91. Mm-hmm. Um, to write into play, right? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, great. Yeah, interesting because... Um, Boy, it was a different town, boy. It was, wasn't it? 91. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2001. Um, so what happened was I started looking at the charts with my co-writer, Karen, who co-wrote the one with me. And, and, you know, we would always, like, look at the business side of it and go, wait a minute, we're killing ourselves in the pop world. Mm-hmm. But look at the numbers in country. Oh, my God, they're flying through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I started listening to country realized that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kick the dust off your boots anymore. It was like, you know, groups like Brooks and Dunn uh, excited me enough to make me want to come down here to check it out. Well, yeah. And uh, it started coming. And I would come every, at the beginning, probably every two months for four or five days. And then it became a point. And you'd play out, right? Places like the Bluebird and the Broken Spoke. And you would, right? Yeah. yeah, Spoke was like one of the first places that I played. And I remember, I think it was 92 or 93, 92, I think, I played on CMA night. <clears throat> and I just figured, oh, nobody, nobody is coming. And it was, like, really funny because I did, the town appeared to be a little bit more hick to me than, than it is now because they had, to, they had to rent limousines from other towns because okay. we didn't have enough. Now it's kind of like, you know, a whole different world. But I, I go, God, I'm playing on CMA. Nobody's going to show up. So that's a good time to play because I've never played here before. Let me see what it is. The place was packed. Oh. You know? <laughs> and I bring my Takamini went in there and started uh, just doing what I do. And it was fine. It was comfortable. Well, I want to talk about The One. It was a huge hit in 2003. And I remember playing it on the radio uh, a lot. And it was always one of my favorite songs. And um, a big song, uh, really a career launcher for, for Gary Allen, and uh, you talked a little bit about your co-writer. Tell us about how that song became about. You were co-writer with whom, by the way? I'm sorry. Who was yeah. your co-writer on that song? And we, you know, and, and you know, but let me just backtrack. So a lot of people listening may not realize that a lot of the great songs that you hear on radio are not written by the artist. They're usually co-written. A couple of great writers get together in a room, and uh, two heads are better than one. They say, and sometimes three and four together. Um, so tell me about that process. Who was your co-writer? Her name is Karen Manos, the writer, 
from New York, a good writer. I haven't spoken to her very much lately, but um, we used to talk about things, and it was interesting. The song was basically a an observance of what else was on the charts at the time. Mm. How do we sneak in this chart that is so we feel as though impossible to break through? There was even an article written by Sony Records that, you know, Billy Lee and Cameron Mano have proved that you can break the locks of Nashville. Mm. You know, I wish I kept that article. It was pretty cool. Wow. I think it was a Music Row magazine or something. But um, everything that was said in that song was because you realize, you know, what's in, you know, Toby Keith and those kind of guys, you know, mm. the tough, cool guys, you know, who's your daddy, who's your mama, you know, <laughs> <laughs> those kind of things were out there. And we just said, let's write a song that a woman would like to hear. Really, that's all it is. It's just write something with a line, a bunch of lines that a woman would love for a guy to say to her. Mm-hmm. And so we start bouncing stuff around. Next thing you know, that happens. And I, I got to say, it was interesting um, to be, I was, was I signed to a publishing? I was not signed to a publishing company at the time, but I, but I had been around enough and signed that I was able to get meetings all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Music Row was my playground, so to speak. Um, and um, it was more like the people's reaction to the song. Yeah. And we did the demo. It was late at night. The single was tired. And I just uh, I just thought, and I said to the guy, man, I said to the studio owner in Laverne, Tennessee, man, I don't think he's doing as good a job as I am on the work tape. Mm. You know what? Let's let's pause right there, and, and I want to talk about that. So you get this song, and you know it's a good one. So you put together a work tape first, and you've given us the permission to play that on the show, right? So, okay. Yeah. So tell about a work tape first, and then we'll play a little bit of it. But well, what do you do? It's pretty basic. It's always got to happen. Mm-hmm. You give the vocalist who's going to sing the song a a a, a, a tape of you mm-hmm. doing a rough copy of the song, so that they know what to sing. Right. And they get it in their head. Generally. These singers are so were so busy that they didn't really listen until they were on their way to the studio. <laughs> As it happens from time to time. Well, let's 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 play a little bit of that that work tape right now. This is uh, you just written the song uh, with Karen, and uh, so you're putting together a work tape, and this is you singing it, right? As me singing it, I had this mini disc recorder, and yeah. I went to the studio. I right, just play I a little I- bit of it so you can people get get an idea. This is a work tape. your touch I won't rush your heart Even the work tape is great <laughs> Until you feel on solid ground Until your strength is found Girl I'll fill those canyons in your soul now, the interesting thing about that work tape, uh, you started out with that Uga Chaka Chaka little thing in the beginning, which isn't on this demo that I'm going to play for you here in a little bit, but they came back and eventually used that 
in Gary Allen's production of the song, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark Wright was the main producer with mm-hmm. Tony Brown. Uh-huh. I mean, Tony Brown, yeah, big time. Yeah. The biggest in the business yeah. was Mike Daly the song. And Mark was always an interesting guy because he always said, he used to say to everybody, let me hear the work that mm. you know? And sometimes you give him the work that he say, you know what? Give it all the crap. Just let me hear the guitar and the girl singing, you know? And I got you. I heard so, that and it became part of the song. Now, and you got this... You have this great work tape, and now you're talking about going to Laverne and getting it, getting it uh, uh, in a demo form so you can actually really pitch it to other artists. And you had a pretty right. famous uh, demo singer on this, right? Who is it? Yeah, Buddy Jewel. Buddy Jewel. He's still famous. Buddy uh-huh. Jewel, yeah. Had a big, some big country hits. And what was it like? Uh, he was a Nashville star or something, wasn't it? Television show? Did he win? Or? Whatever year that was. What was it? What was the show? Nashville Star. Nashville Star, yeah. So he's singing the demo here. Let's little let's let's listen to a little bit of that, okay? Sure. I think it uh, it starts here. Uh, it's a little late coming in, but here it is. Yeah, Buddy Jewel singing the demo for the one, and this is completely different. No rush, though I need your touch. I won't rush your heart Until you feel On solid ground Until your strength is found About the same tempo, right, Billy? I'll feel those canyons in your soul Like a river lead you Buddy, of course, is just a tremendous singer. Did he do a lot of demos for you over the years? Yeah, probably a hundred or two hundred, maybe more. I don't wow. know. Wow, you guys became pretty good friends. Now, yeah. you got this uh, great demo. You, you know you have this good song. Where did you go from there? You had to start pitching it, right? So, so, tell us how this happened. How did it become a hit, Billy? Well, this, this is what I was trying to say before. You don't know. The only way you know about a song is to see other people's reactions to it. Right. So a good friend of mine, of ours, me and Karen, was uh, uh, Joni Foraker, who was managing, she worked for a company that was managing um, Faith Hill and Trace Atkins and... Um, I've heard of those two. Keith Urban. I mean, Him too. a small company. Yeah. And uh, so we had a meeting with her at like 11 o'clock that morning. And I didn't get through with that session until probably five o'clock in the morning. So I um, just went back to the hotel I was staying at and, and and to get ready for the meeting. She heard it at like within like after the first chorus says, I want to put that on hold. And I said, what? And for who? She said, Trace Atkins. Wow. I looked at her and said, what? Trace Atkins? She said, yeah. I said, are you sure you can do something like that? And, um, so that was interesting, and that was on hold for probably five or six months. Now, I, we still did pitch it around, and everybody, including Capitol Records, took it for artists and stuff like that. Now, when you say on hold, maybe we had to explain what that means, when they tell you they'd like to put it on hold. There's no, yeah, okay, the word hold doesn't mean they're going to give you money. What it means is that we love this song, and we want to have Dave Lenahan do it, <laughs> and you really... Don't don't give it to anybody else. 
you know. But you kept well, picturing no, it. <laughs> yeah, but there was no money involved, so we just still shopped it. And then sometimes you'd go to a meeting and say, oh, uh, Trace Atkins has a song about that whole, and they would always want to hear that song. And there would always be, well, if he doesn't take it, if he doesn't do it, give us a buzz, you know. So Got it. it's almost like people need to be told, you know. I, I found that really interesting. Mm. And it was great, you know, and, and Buddy was singing, and everybody loved Buddy at the time, and he was real big. Um, <clears throat> and so and hold means if somebody wants your song, please don't show it to anybody else or give it to anybody else. You can play it for people because it's your song and you own it. But you know, don't don't give it away unless you you know. Before you give it away, ask us again. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. So you you get an offer um, that Gary Allen wants to do this song. You got to go back and go. Can we release that? Uh, hold right. You have to ask permission or no. No, every song has a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was mid September? Uh, no, December, right around Christmas time. Uh, Trace Atkins' albums were produced by two uh, two. Two um, producers, Trey Bruce was one of them. The other one was Dan Huff. So his albums were split in the middle. So Trey Bruce, about I swear it was like December 18th, you know, took it off hold. Mm. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't know. So uh, Gary Allen's manager, John, had an office, which, you know, we were friends. And we became friends. It had nothing to do with that song. But right next to him was Cindy... Um, who was managing Shidezi. Her father was in the business, and they, they, she knew everybody. And I said, hey, what are you up to? She goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have dinner with Dan Huff tonight. And I said, you're going to have dinner with Dan? Do me a favor. Can you give him this song? Mm. And she goes, sure. And so we had a dad. She made a CD right then and there. And as she was making the CD, John passed right by the little kitchenette. She goes, hey, guys, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just... Uh, uh, hanging out with Cindy here, making a copy so she can, like, you know, shove it down Dan's throat. <laughs> and he goes, hey, that's a pretty good song. If Dan doesn't take it, let me know. Maybe Gary would want it. It was really that. Are well, you talking he about Gary Allen? Yeah. Well, you know? Yeah. And finally, I got a, we got a call from Tony Brown late at night on a Sunday. And uh, I said, hey, I'm in a meeting here, and I have Gary and I have Mark Wright, the other producer, Gary's manager, and Shane Barrett, who was the A&R guy at the time. And they're obviously some sort of conference thing and wanted to know if they could do this song. Can I fax them lyrics? Fax. That was even funnier. <laughs> and, um, yeah, sent them the fax, and then I basically said, uh, like, what are you going to do with it? We're going to record it. And I said, when? And Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Tomorrow morning? Man. Tomorrow morning? <laughs> wow. Tomorrow morning. This was Monday night. Mm. This was Monday morning they were going in to do it. <clears throat> and then I never heard, never heard, they just, and then um, never heard it or anything like that. Once I walked into the studio while they were packing up and I heard some of the groove because they changed it quite a bit. Um, and then I had a meeting with Mark Wright with Karen. <laughs> The and Mark had these funny smiles on his face. He goes, I want you guys to hear something. And he plays his song so loud my nose was bleeding. <laughs> and I didn't know what song it was until Gary started singing. 
And I almost freaked out because that introduction that he does on the record has nothing to do with the demo or the work tape. Well, he did know? the Uga Chaka kind of beat, wasn't it? Yeah. They really emphasized it and put all these sounds in it that were, to me, uncommon to country music. Synthesizers and vocal sounds, that synth vocals, not even real vocals. So it was pretty cool. I was really excited because it really tickled the pop side of me, you know. Oh, I bet it was a thrill. But did you think that oh, it's going to be a great hit? Did that enter your mind? Would you allow that to enter your mind? Never. <laughs> never. never. You never knew. You never knew because everything was, I mean, I had to listen. We're all in the same boat. I've had songs cut. Songwriter friends of mine, we had songs cut, and then all of a sudden, it either didn't make a record or something else on the record they decided to promote more, you know. And uh, John called and said, mm-hmm. uh, all he just said was they were doing a thing called Pick and Flick, which used to be a thing on the radio, yeah. which they play a new song, and the audience calls in. Right. They, should, they should pick it to be a song, Oh, they flick it and get rid of it. So we want <laughs> smash or trash. We used to call it. Oh yeah, I, right. Well, this is pick and flick. They were nicer about it. <laughs> and then John, and I don't remember how long it was in between, but it was between Christmas and Valentine's Day. Yeah. I guess you got the single. Uh-huh. That's all he said. You, you, know? you got I think the single. I almost had broke, you know. But hey, that was cool. That's good. And then it. Just it just climbed the charts and it went crazy. So let's play it right now. This is the final version. I'm going to try to play this right now. Okay. Yeah, here we go. This is the one. Gary Allen is written by uh, Billy Lee. Do I need your touch? I won't rush your heart Until you feel on solid ground until your strength is found girl I'll fill those canyons in your soul like a river lead you home and I'll walk a step behind in the shadow so you shine just ask it will be Until you're sure that I'm the one Somebody else was here before He treated you unkind The broken wings need time to heal before a heart can fly Girl, I'll fill those canyons in your soul Like a river leads you home And I'll walk a step behind In the shadow so you shine Just ask it will be
Gary playing the uh, lead guitar on that, Billy, wasn't it? Gary Allen? Yeah. What's that? Uh, it was a metric nylon string guitar. Yes. He kind of put a little Spanish feel to it, too, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the video was Spanish, too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, in California at a, a place, some ranch, I wish I could remember the name of it, which has been used in cowboy movies. For decades, and uh, and it was a Spanish village, you know. Mm-hmm. The woman was very exotic looking, who was in the video. So yes, it was a great video. Everybody Excuse loved it, you know. It was a great video. Um, what? And and you said Gary Allen once uh, his wife thanked you for for writing that song, um, and changing his well, career. Didn't well, you say yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We he was playing the Bluebird one night with. Um, at the Bluebird, Jamie O'Hara and um, Holly Allen. Oh boy, that was a nice round. Yeah, they're both past <laughs> now, unfortunately, else. both of them. Um, but they were in that round together, huh? Yeah. So his yeah. wife said, his wife said something like, "She came over to me and and thanked me for giving her husband a career." Wow, it was really cool. You always yeah. joked that that's. Rough. You've always joked that that song bought your wife and Gary their new houses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen! I got my I got a Honda out of the deal, so it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was a it was a lease, though. <laughs> what a thrill, uh, Billy! Um, this has been a great time. It's gone so fast, doggone it! Um, maybe we oh, have to, maybe we'll have to do this again sometime, really, really soon. I hope so. Anyway, uh, thanks for being our first guest and talking about songwriting. Yeah. So we make a connection. Want to do what's that? Yeah, I'm not gonna. If they want to do like live, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, the Next time, yeah. Fun. The COVID will be passed, and we'll have um, you here in my dining it's been room. Like and, an hour already, right? Yeah. I guess we talk a lot. About forty-five minutes. So, <laughs> but yeah, next time we'll do it live in the dining room here, and uh, we'll let you play some music. Uh, uh, we'll set up another microphone hey, over there. Yeah. Well, Go I think ahead. I think you froze out there on Zoom a little bit. <laughs> Anyway, Billy, thank you so well, much. I wasn't frozen. <laughs> well, you uh, are yeah. now. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's what we do on uh, on Songwriter Connection. Billy Lee, our guest, and uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope you will join us on our next uh, show it's very very soon. Songwriter Connection. Thank you for listening to the Songwriter Connection podcast. Find us on social media at Songwriter Connection. Also, listen to Dave Linehan's Nashville Connection radio show. It streams live every Friday morning on WOBL and WNOI. Look for us on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time on Songwriter Connection.